All-Ireland final in 2018. Watched it in Cook Park and I thought I was going to throw up. Like, it just, it was a horrible feeling. You wanted to win, but you just felt like, oh my God, if, if they do win, they haven't been there. Like, is it worth it being over here? Subscribe to the OTBGAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. You're so unexpected. It's one of those you had to be there moments. You had to be there. It subsequently genuinely did change everything about my life. You had to be there. All right, it's one of our favourite slots. It's where we ask somebody uh, why you had to be there on five separate different occasions where it really felt like um, they were witnessing something incredibly special. And I'm delighted to say Sue Ronan is our guest this week, former Republic of Ireland manager. Um, Sue, before we get into your five, there's one that we kind of have to give a special mention for. And this is Liam Brady uh, in the FA Cup final in 1979 versus Manchester United. It didn't make your list, but it inspired the first entry. Yeah, that's right. How are you, get, how are you getting on, guys? Um, good to be on the show. Um, yeah, a huge Arsenal fan. I am not feeling the best this morning, mind you, after the defeat last night to City. But uh, yeah, huge Arsenal fan from as long as I can remember. I have no idea where it came from because nobody else in, in the house at the time uh, followed Arsenal. Possibly because of the huge Irish contingent, I think, at the time in the, the late 70s when I've got my first recollection of watching games live or seeing games live. And you may know you know that the cup final, the FA Cup final in those days was such a huge deal. You know, it, it's not wall-to-wall uh, coverage uh, or there wasn't wall-to-wall coverage then like there is these days. So, you know, you had that one life game every year and you looked forward to it. And if your team was playing in it, you sat watching it from eight o'clock in the morning when there was coverage right through till after the game, you know. So that's what I did. And um that game for me really stood out. I still have the the, the old uh, uh, video cassette video of it. I'm trying to figure out how I can get it digitally converted. But um, what a game that was for Arsenal! They'd suffered um, a defeat the previous year unexpectedly against the odds and came back that year anyway. And Brady and was just magnificent in that game. They were two 0 up at half time. You know, it was pretty uneventful apart from that. They're playing Man United, who were were always a big rival. Two 0 up at half time. Frank Stapleton got one one of the goals, uh, but in the second half, then just coasting to victory. United came out of nowhere, got two quick goals. All of a sudden, then five minutes to go, it's two all. But Brady just stood out for me. He, he he grabbed the game by the scruff of the neck, and I always remember the way he he set up the third goal, the winning goal for Arsenal. Literally. It was nearly literally from the kickoff after United had equalised and he just, you know, made a great run through midfield, released the ball out to Graham Ricks, it was at the time, and he put in a probably a hopeful centre, as they called them in those days, and Alan Sundland, the far post, scored. So, you know, that really inspired um, me and, and uh, the Irish players. I just couldn't wait to see them and I, I wanted to see them live and I wanted to see them playing for Ireland. So I suppose that takes me on to the first game then. It was the first game I was ever at and my first you had to be there uh, Ireland versus France World Cup qualifier Lansdowne Road and it's Liam Brady's performance in this we, we beat them 3-2 we beat them 3-2 yeah um, it was a World Cup qualifier we were in a really tough group um, with Belgium and Holland also in that group and I know we had a we had a goal disallowed away to Belgium in, in, in our game with them now I can't remember whether that came before or afterwards but I remember it was one of those bad referee decisions we seemed to get a lot of them in those days you know it was like a hard luck story played well and goals were disallowed or we didn't get penalties or whatever it might have been so we went into this game with high hopes um, we were playing a really really strong fancy French team you had Michel Platini was on the 
top of his game then captain of the team they were a really fancy football team and you know we had a strong team ourselves but I wanted to go to the game. I was uh, in secondary school at the time and the games in Lansdowne Road in those days were played in the afternoons uh, and they were generally always Wednesday afternoon because there was no lights in the stadium. You know, it was the it was even before the stadium was uh, was revamped, even before it became the Aviva. Um, so you had the two individual stands on each side, open-ended terraces at both ends. It was brilliant, you know. It would be horrible today, but in those days it was just brilliant. It was like your mecca. You just wanted to go and I really wanted to go to the game and getting tickets wasn't a problem you literally walked into um shops like the sports shops used to sell the tickets and i remember me and my friends used to used to go into uh, i think it was a soccer shop in town and you just bought your tickets so it wasn't a problem but anyway the parents were having none of it no you have to go to school but of course i was going to the game and i mitched and uh, the experience of going to the game the whole thing or we we got the bus i lived in crumlin we got the bus into town we got the train out two or three stations to lansdowne road and i'm not joking when i say your head was hanging out one window your arm was hanging out another the train was so packed but it was just brilliant with all the excitement so up to the game we went and we had um we tickets for the lansdowne road terrace the south uh, terrace and there was, I think there was about 55,000 people crammed at the stadium. And I think the, the, the capacity was probably only about 50 in those days. Um, but there was just, you know, thousands and, and the terraces were crammed. And it was a real old style terrace. And we were, myself and my mates, we were right at the top of the terrace, right at the back. And there was sort of steps down then to, to, to go out. And I'll explain the relevance of that in a minute. But at the game anyway, and we started off, we were really on, on fire that day. And Michael Robinson was making his debut. And and I think there was probably a little bit of um, suspicion maybe at the time about him because he was he qualified through the, the granny rule, as they used to call it now. And I don't mean to, mean to be disrespectful to Michael Robinson. I'm not exactly sure what way he qualified, but they called it the granny rule in those days. I think they used to say if you had a pint of Guinness, you qualified for Ireland, you know. But Michael Robinson anyway was playing and I suppose he had to win the fans over and he put in a magnificent shift. He had a great game. And um, I, I remember he created the first goal, which was an OG. I think he, he made a run down the right and crossed it and... So you had Stapleton, you had O'Leary, you had Brady, you had my lads as, say, as such playing. And, um, but he crossed it and it was an OG. And then did, I think France could have equalised. In the second half, we, we went 3-1 up anyway. And Brady was just pulling the strings in the middle of the park. Um, Stapleton got his goal. And David O'Leary actually uh, found himself in the box. It must have been from a, a broke down from a set play or something. And he sort of kept the ball alive and squared it. Uh, for Stapleton to, to score, we were 2-1 up. Then later in the game, Robinson himself scored. We were 3-1 up and oh, the crowd was just going berserk. Like it was just magnificent, the whole occasion. Um, but of course, the French, as they will, they came on strong late in the game. Platini himself equalised. Um, you had Seamus McDonough wasn't long in the team either and he was sort of making a name for himself too and he pulled off some great saves at the end of the game and... Yeah, we won. We held on to win 3-2, you know, and it was just magnificent. But I always remember getting out of the stadium then. As I said, we were at the back of the terraces right at the top. So we were going down these stairs at the back, which you think would be a sort of an easy way out. But I'm not joking. My feet never touched the ground all the way down. The crowd was so big in the stadium. I was literally carried down those stairs in the crowd. Like the feet never touched the ground. But it was just, just magnificent. And I'll never forget it. You know, um, unfortunately, we did qualify for that World Cup um, we had high hopes that the French would I think the Dutch 
we thought that the Dutch would take points off France uh, in Holland, or sorry, in Paris, maybe they were playing them, but as, as Dutch teams often tend to do, I think they self-imploded a bit with some sort of uh, squabbling amongst them, and anyway, they didn't win, so we, we didn't qualify, but that's that just has such a, such a special memory for me, you know, everything around it. Mitching from school, I suppose, for the first time. And the only time I have to add, I, I, after that, in fairness, the parents wrote a sick note for me and I went to all the games. But they, they knew I was going, you know, uh, hail, rain or snow. So they, they agreed to, to write the, the sick note for me. But, yeah, going to the game, the train journey, the crowd, uh, just the whole exuberance. And, of course, watching my heroes, really, you know, and, and Brady was just magnificent. That cultured left foot, he was brilliant. France qualified on goal difference. That's how, that's how they got through. We lost to Belgium with an 88-minute winner for Belgium and they topped the group. But if we'd drawn that game, we would have gone through uh, instead of them. And um, yeah, yeah, so uh, perpetual heartbreak. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I think in that Belgian game, we either had a goal disallowed or their goal was 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 um, one of those dodgy goals. I can't remember, but there was definitely something I know controversial around it. Your second pick, Sue, is another Irish legend. 1990 World Cup in Palermo, Ireland versus England. And it's, uh, it's Paul McGrath. Paul McGrath, yeah. So now we're at our first World Cup um, and I know we were at the Euros in 88 and I didn't get to the Euros in 88 and watched it and I always remember watching that last game against Holland, half of it out in the back garden, just willing us to win and unfortunately it didn't work out but was determined then, was going to go to the next uh, the next finals we got to. So had left it late booking or whatever, I can't remember, but ended up in Malta anyway. So uh, the, the the World Cup was in Italy and, and I'm based in Malta, myself and, and friends. But there was obviously some package that we, we booked and we were um, commuted over on a catamaran for each of the games because the games were held in Sicily. So it probably wasn't too far from Malta. And that, again, was an experience in itself. But went over for the first game, the England game. And of course, there was a huge a huge police presence, you know, because obviously the English fans, you know, have a bad reputation and they can be a bit notorious. So the, the uh, there was a huge police presence and I think they were categorizing us all as troublemakers, you know. So again, one of the abiding memories on arriving in, in, um, in Palermo for that game was that the fan, like the police were really heavy handed. They were strict. They were separating all the fans and they actually let the, the English fans go towards the stadium, make their way towards the stadium first or get into the stadium. And they they effectively corralled all the Irish fans. And we were really like what you'd call in pens. You know, it was like being, you know, we we're in rogue squares and we were standing there for what seemed an eternity and probably close to certainly an hour. And then, of course, as the Irish fans do, they're always witty. Somebody started the sheep, you know, the sheep sound. And then this went up around the whole thousands of Irish fans that were there. And you look at the police looking at us, didn't know what was going on, you know, but it was just a way, I suppose, a way of make, amusing ourselves and passing the, passing the time. But there was no trouble, of course, as there never is. So anyway, we get to the stadium and um, all excited and you know, you have you have a huge, a big hit in English team, you know, and they're out for revenge after 1988. You've got Lineker, you've got Shilton, Eskengol, Beardsley, Waddle, all those guys. Um, and they came at us early on. And, and I suppose it was the reverse to 1988 where they scored first. So it's always chasing the game now. It's, not, it's the other way around. But again, we, we stuck at it. We played great. And Paul McGrath was immense, absolutely immense. Possibly not as immense as he was in the Giants Stadium in, in uh, four years later. I wasn't at that game. Obviously, watched it on TV. But um, 
Yeah, he was still immense. Like he 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 just marshaled that defence and uh, midfield, and he he just stood out as a colossal in our team, and nothing was getting past him as it generally doesn't, you know. So eventually, thankfully, um, we we got the equaliser late on through Kevin Sheedy, um, and and we drew one all. But I think the 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 great thing was the other game went was a draw to Holland and Egypt. I think I think actually that group was generally there was a lot of draws in that group. Um, I know. I think our we had three draws actually we drew with Egypt we had a really disappointing game there and then we drew with Holland one all and I think both teams knew they'd qualify with a draw so we nearly walked through that one but um, yeah it's just that game it's the whole excitement of playing the old enemy you knew they were up for revenge you know the, the crack beforehand on the catamaran being 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 corralled in in in, in a crowd where this sound of bah went up you know and yeah just not losing the game um but Paul McGrath for me just stood out and what a magnificent player he has been for us over the years you know your next one uh, is also on my list uh, it's World Cup qualifier Ireland against Holland this one's Lansdowne Road it's uh, towards the end of the old Lansdowne Road and it's Roy Keane Roy Keane, yeah, and sorry, just before I go on to that, just so I forgot to, to mention, I suppose, a little, um, the disappointment after that World Cup, as I said, I was, the 1990 World Cup, I was in Italy, went there on this package that took in their group game, so then obviously came home after that, and was in work, then the following week we're playing um, Romania in the penalty shootout, and I worked in um, Crumlin Hospital at the time, I was in administration, and anyway, my boss wouldn't, wouldn't, we didn't watch the game, like, no one had access to a TV, and I wasn't allowed to take time off, so I decided I'm taping this match i don't want to hear the score i'm going home i'm going to sit down in my in my wherever i lived in uh, rathgar and i'm going to watch this game did all that managed to avoid the, the the score sat down to the game sat through whatever 120 minutes of it and the tape recorder stopped oh, <laughs> no. i had and there was no social media there was no nothing in those days i had no idea who won the game i literally had to get in the car and go down to rath mines which is close by and of course the streets were hopping everybody was singing but yeah, it was just a, a little um, little caveat, obviously, to that. But going back to the next one, yeah, Holland. We played Holland in um, again in Lansdowne Road uh, in t- 2001. And we win this game and it guarantees us the playoff, I think, uh, which was subsequently against Iran, I think. Um, and what an atmosphere at that game. And, like, we had a good, really good team out. Um, but, of course, Holland, again, they're, you know, one of the big teams in, in, in European football. They had all these stars. They had... Overmars, they had Van Nisselrooy, they had Clivert, they had all these players. But for me, I suppose, I was a little bit caught here now because being a big Arsenal fan and uh, obviously being an Ireland fan, I was a little bit on the fence with Roy Keane. You know, I, I loved him playing for, for Ireland, absolutely loved him playing for Ireland, but I absolutely hated him playing for United <laughs> because there was the real rivalry then, like in the early noughties, as you know, late 90s, early noughties, Arsenal and United were the two teams that were generally really winning the league and and usually when Arsenal didn't win it was because Keane was magnificent or you know all the different stuff that was happening in the tunnel at Highbury and between him and Vieira and all the rest and he was just magnificent in those days so yeah I, I had a love-hate relationship with Keane I have to say and but I was as up for this game for Ireland to win as anybody um I had to think about it twice. I have to say, when he cr- when he when he crashed into Mark Overmars in the first minute to to lay down the marker, you know, I was sort of yeah up like everybody else, big cheer. But in the back of my mind, I was saying, I hope he's not injured for Saturday. Um, but yeah, no, look, 
I think anyone that was at that game, you could see from the very beginning, as you said, after that tackle, Roy Keane just set down the marker. He single-handedly dragged and led the team to the win that day. He set up the goal for McIntyre, I think. Um, when, When Kelly was sent off, he stepped up, you know, he he, he was the, nearly like our extra man, put himself about. He was just magnificent. And Holland just didn't know what to do. They really didn't know what to do. And, I mean, even after that tackle on Overmars, Overmars nearly disappeared out of the game after that. You know, he didn't fancy the he didn't fancy the physical side of it. Um, I suppose something to say a lot about the Arsenal team over the years. But, no, Keane was just magnificent. And, again, the recollection towards the end of that game um, was that Louis van Gaal was the, cap- was the manager. He threw on attacker after attacker. And I think they had four strikers on the pitch at one point. They would Van Nistelrooy, they would Hasselbank. They Clivert and somebody else, um, but sure they weren't getting the ball to them because we were just preventing, you know, stopping it at the source as such. So like it was ineffective really. But we got the win and the stadium. I'm not joking. I was in the West End for that one. I was up in the posher seats now. Obviously uh, working on a few bob in my back pocket. I didn't have to get the the schoolboy tickets as they used to be called on the terraces. But the stadium literally shook after that match when, you know, the cheering and the roar, and I've never, ever um, remember an atmosphere like it uh, before or since, even with the in the current Aviva, it was just rocking and literally rocking. The West End, I'm not joking, it was literally rocking. Um, but, yeah, what, what, a, what a match and, and what a performance by Roy Keane. And, yeah, unfortunately, things didn't work out too well in terms of him and us at the World Cup. But really? I don't really know. No, no one ever mentions that. It no. never comes up. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny, like I was at the playoff game at home as well. And I, I remember saying this to my friend who used to go to the game. I remember saying this at, at, at that night. And Jane, I hope this is, not, this is not controversial. But looking at Roy Keane's demeanour after that game, I just said to my friend, he doesn't want to be here. There's something not right. You know, I just felt there was something not right in his own persona. And I look, I, I don't know, maybe he was just, I know he left the pitch pretty quick. And there's always those um, pictures shown of him and McCarthy sort of half shaking hands. But, and maybe that was just it. But it just looked to me like he didn't want to be there, you know. So, I, look, I don't know whether that had anything to do with anything that happened, but it was just a shame, really. You've picked another Arsenal one for your fourth one, and it's Thierry Henry against Real Madrid. Yeah, um, and Real Madrid, again, they were laden with the, the star-studded, you know, players. Beckham was with them. Um, you had the Brazilian Ronaldo, although he's probably coming towards the end of his career. You had Zidane, <laughs> Roberto Carlos. Um, Raul. Ra- Raul, yeah, Robino, even I think might have been on the bench. Um, Ramos, who's still playing. When you think of it, gosh, nearly 18 years later, he was obviously only a child then. Um, Guti, but what a team they had. And this was the second leg at, at Highbury. Um, they'd, we won the first leg away. Andre scored a magical goal. And this is probably coming towards the end of Andre's career with Arsenal. I think this, this ended up being his last season. So there was he was still on the top of his game, but there was speculation that he wasn't going to stay, you know, so that was in the back of the, back of the mind. But he, he got the, the goal away, so we, we won 1-0 at the Bernabeu. Um, now, I got tickets actually through Spanish friends, so I was in the Spanish end of the ground, and it was funny, not that I can understand Spanish, but they were translating for me, but the Spanish were giving Beckham grief all through the game. I think, I don't know whether they hadn't taken to him or at that stage they didn't like him, but... There was all sorts of comments. I think he was going through the period there where he used to change his hair every week and they were just shouting things like, you know, because he was missing in the game, you know, is Beckham not back from the hairdressers? Yeah, this type of stuff. 
Uh, um, yeah, they're giving awful grief, but we we it was nil all that game, and it was a really really exciting nil all. And in the second half, um, I think I was behind the goal where Arsenal were 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 attacking, and um, the early on in the second half that we had a few really good chances. Henri um, got made Casillas make a couple of good saves, but towards the end as well of the game, when 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 Madrid were really pressing and pressing, and I think the keeper gone up for corner probably late in the game, and. Um, who was a layman was in goal, you know, he, he caught the ball and, and released Pires down the left and Pires clips the ball towards the goal and you've got Casillas. I just have this memory, Casillas, hair and back and Roberto Carlos and one of them anyway blocked, I think it was Carlos blocked it on the line and we we're like all, you know, excited thinking this is going to be it because you know yourself, well, the, if they'd have scored, it would have gone to extra time because while it was an away goal, we always had no, we also had an away goal, but there's always that danger in the European games. One goal could mean you needing to score two, but yeah, it was just an exciting night and Andre was just magnificent, you know, I mean, he just, seemed to glide by players in, in his pomp you know uh, in, in when he was at, at the top of his game and he, the crowd loved him and never stopped singing his name and of course as I say I was in the wrong end of the ground so I couldn't really sing his name I'd probably been lynched but <laughs> it was great to see and again the bittersweet the bittersweetness from that was we qualified for the final that year and I actually was at the final too. I didn't put it in, obviously, as you'd have to be there because, oh my God, what a disappointment. And I firmly believe they played Barcelona. Um, we played Barcelona in that game and I firmly believe if uh, Lehman hadn't been sent off after very early in the game, maybe 12 minutes, I think he took a player down outside the box. Um I think Arsenal would have won that game definitely because we were we still scored one went one nil up even with ten players Saul Campbell scored and then it was late in the game before Barcelona did anything I always remember they brought Larson on and Larson had moved from Celtic and he wouldn't have been a first choice with them uh, but they brought him on and they also brought um, Samuel Eto'o on and that changed the game and Eto got the winner I can't remember who got the equaliser but. Was such a disappointing moment. I was with a friend of mine and we paid well over the odds for tickets. And final whistle went and I said, come on, we're going. And she said, you must be joking if you think we're leaving before the celebration after paying whatever we paid for tickets. So I had to sit there and endure the, the celebration. But yeah, what, what a magnificent game at Highbury. And again, that was probably one of the last big European nights before they moved to the Emirates uh, for the following season. And... Yeah, haven't hit those heights since, unfortunately. Well, they're on the way back. The last one you've got is, is an amazing one to have been at, um, and I think anybody who was there probably has it on their list. It's the 2012 London Olympics, Katie Taylor's gold medal fight. Absolutely. Um, and sorry, the other games I mentioned, you're probably having to search through the the, uh, the search through everything to try and find any footage. They were so old, but uh, yeah, Katie's fight. I mean, like I know Katie well. Katie played, <coughs> excuse me, underage football for me for Ireland and what a magnificent player she was we all know that went on to play for the national team under Noel King and when she was playing under 19s for me she was still boxing um, and there wasn't the same publicity about her then she was still winning world titles and European titles but there was hardly anything about it you know unfortunately um, and I used to give her time off like from our training or from our camp so she could uh, do her training with her dad and her dad often came into the team hotel and set up in the room and they were doing whatever they were doing the training and the sparring and that was the, the payoff or the, the balance off to have Katie playing for us, you know, and it was well worth it. Um, she was still the best player we had, but obviously that was before then she, she had to make her choice. So when 
you know, this Olympics was obviously, it was always something she wanted. She always wanted to win that Olympic gold medal and she always spoke about it. And as soon as the Olympics were held and uh, were announced as London and women's boxing was announced, as soon as the tickets went on sale, I bought tickets for the final. I just knew she'd be there. I, I really did knew she'd be there. So anyway, over we went. I also had tickets the same night for the, the, the women's football final, which was at Wembley about two hours later, would you believe? So it was a real hair, hair and scare across London after Katie's fight. But I, I missed half the football, which didn't matter. But yeah, um, going to the stadium, I remember I met so many people that I knew, like obviously half of Ireland, I think, had come over. Um, it was around down in the west end of London or the, the east end of London, I think, around where the Olympic Stadium was. It was held down there and queuing to go in. As I say, it was a great day. It was loads of people around. Everyone was dressed in green, white and orange. Just the excitement. Everyone, you know, no one could see Anton, but Katie winning. Um, it were into the stadium and just from the very beginning, the noise and the singing and the roaring and then the whole spectacle, you know, Katie coming out with her dad in her corner in those days. And the fight itself was such a fantastic fight. And I think in one of the rounds, I, I can't remember the score, um, but I, I know, I think she either lost one of the rounds or she looked like she was in trouble and she had to put in a great performance in the last round and that she did and everyone just roared her on and to see her drop to her, her knees you know and I, I still get choked up thinking about it it's one of those really exciting you know fantastic moments for Ireland um, and for Katie obviously in her family but to see her you know drop to her knees and the, the just the sheer delight and relief on her face and her dad and everyone in her corner I mean it was no more than she deserved you know and it was just fantastic to see and she stayed out gosh she was out in the ring going around the crowd for ages afterwards like just celebrating and everyone was singing and you know taking pictures and the lot and as I say probably it was probably about an hour after the, the fight was finished before I actually left and ran across London and I bumped into another guy here from here who was doing the same so we were hairing along to get into to Wembley for the women's uh, football final but that didn't matter you know the most important thing was the fight and I think you know it was no more than she deserved and it was just fantastic uh, to see her win that after all like knowing all she'd done all the sacrifices she'd made all she'd been through in her life and it was so well deserved and like the, the boxer she was fighting was a good fighter too uh, was it Akshava or something Gavi, yeah. Mm. Gavi, yeah. uh, very good fighter but I think that medal was Katie's and you know Come hell or high waters, you know, the other boxer was going to really have to do something very, very special to, to take it from her, you know. I think that's just one of those standout moments. And for sure, you had to be there. I think half of Ireland probably felt they were there, you know, watching it on TV and on live screens and Bray, etc. But yeah, that's, that's definitely there up, up with my one of my top uh, moments. So, Unfortunately, the rest are football. I, I do know. watch they were... I've not been... <laughs> that's a great list Sue thanks a million you've been a, a brilliant episode if you had to be there cheers no problem take care thanks lads just so unexpected it's one of those you had to be there moments you had to be there it subsequently genuinely did change everything about my life they had to be there 